It's really, really great to be here. I feel like they're, I'm, I'm feeling chipper this morning. I don't want to scare anyone, but I'm feeling chipper. I think spring has a way of doing that. The birds are chirping and the sun is out. And um, yesterday was a dead giveaway for me. I was in a place where there was shade and there was sun, and we were in the shade and we were freezing. And we'd sit in the sun and we would roast and we kind of bounced back and forth all day. So that's a sign something's going to happen. And sure enough, this morning, it is a beautiful day out there. So thanks for being with us. Uh, we are in our second uh, week of the Songs of Ascent, or Psalms of Ascent. Um, and we talked last week about poetry, if you remember. Um, poetry should be, um, I think, listened to uh, with the heart first and then listened to with the head second. Um, it doesn't mean we never try to extract intellectual meaning from a psalm, and we're going to do that this morning, but I think it's also so important to hear what the psalmist is trying to convey through emotion. It's so, such an important part of poetry, so we're going to do that this morning when we take a look. Um, I'm excited about this passage this morning. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to take a look at, um, but, but I'm not, I want to say something first. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this or not. Maybe you're new to grace, or, or maybe you've been busy and you haven't um, been around much, but... There's some changes going on at Grace Chapel. There, there are, and if you're new, if you're new here, I'm Josh, hi, I'm brand new, I'm the, the, the pastor, I've been here a year, so I uh, still kind of got that new car smell a little bit, it's starting to fade a little bit, sorry. But I'm still relatively new. Uh, but I'm not just referring to me as far as the change that's going on, God is doing something. And I'm just, me being here is just tiny, one tiny little step in the direction that God is calling us. Um, God is steering and guiding grace, and, and the elders and the leadership are, are sensing God is doing a new thing in this place, and it's so exciting. So to catch you up to speed, just overall summary, catch you up to speed kind of statements, God has been moving in this church for 25 years, and it is an exciting story. And, and the pattern kind of goes like this. God moves, and Grace Chapel responds, and God moves, and Grace Chapel responds, and it kind of looks like a wave if you were to graph it. God moving and Grace Chapel responding. God is saying, trust me, I'm leading you. And, and, then, and then Grace responds at the bottom. God is saying, trust me, I'm leading you. And then he says, reap and harvest when what I'm leading. And it's an exciting thing. And I think we find ourselves in this rhythm right now. And it's exciting. As I began looking at this passage and, and wondering if this is what God would have me present this morning, I read it and I went, whoa. What is going on in this psalm is the same. I can see a very similar pattern going on at Grace, and that got me excited. You guys probably have a hard time imagining what it looks like when I'm excited, right? But, but I was excited. I'm excited. It's, it's hard, I know. Um, it's, it's so fun, and it's so interesting to see when you're reading an Old Testament text, and you see a pattern, and then you take a step back and you go, whoa, that pattern is going on today, right now, in my environment. It's an exciting thing. And it means one thing, one thing. It means that God is moving, and that is an exciting thing, and it's worth getting excited about. And the series that we're going through is called Psalms of Ascent because the scribes um, group these group of psalms together, and they're titled the Psalms of Ascent. And, and the psalms, if you want to take a look at them, the Psalms of Ascent are Psalms 120 through 134. And there's a reason why the scribes grouped them together and said, okay, these ones are a specific series, and they do something specific. Basically, this is what we need to know. There were three Jewish festivals that most Jewish worshipers would travel to Jerusalem for every year, three times every year, and celebrate different feasts. And during their travels, 
they would celebrate by singing these psalms. And they were called psalms of ascent because Jerusalem was, set, was the city on a hill and it's set way up high. And as they climb this hill, this long hill, to get to Jerusalem, they're singing these songs and they're anticipating. This is so fascinating. They're anticipating being in the presence of the Lord. How exciting is that? And I think sometimes we go, well, Psalms are a center the songs they sing when they're going to the temple. It's kind of like when you get in the car and you drive over here to church and you're singing worship songs. I, I hate to say this, but it's not like that. It's not like that because they, they thought of something specific when they sang these songs. Some sources tell us that the priests would even sing these songs as they climbed steps to the temple. It's an interesting thing. And, and you might say, well, that's nice. What's that got to do with us or me right now? Why are, you, why are you pointing that out? And here's the point of this little detail. It's so important to the Jewish faith that at every turn, the worshipers would remind themselves that God was just not approachable, which was radical for the day. And we talked a little bit about that last week. It's radical idea to think that this God, Yahweh, is approachable. But it's even, it's like mind-blowing radical to think that he wants us to approach him. And that's what these Psalms of Ascent are about. It's a reminder to say, listen, God wants you in his presence. So come, come, be a part of what he is doing. It's a powerful thing. So as we read the psalm today, and when you read any Psalms of Ascent, and by the way, I really recommend you just go through these things. Read them through. Psalm 120 to 134 in your time, in your quiet time, whenever you're thinking about it. But as we read these psalms, it's, it's, it's good to remember that God wants us in his presence. He wants to be close to us. So anything we can do to be in his presence, he wants us to do that. God wants you in his presence, and it's worth getting excited about. So with all that to say, let's read our psalm together. This is Psalm 126. I'm going to read it to you out of the NIV, and then we'll take a deeper look at it. Here we go. The psalmist writes in verse 1, When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. And it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Wow, what a cool picture. There's so much emotion. There's so much depth to what the psalmist is saying, um, and it's exciting. It's a rich, the, the psalm is rich with passion, and not just passion about the psalmist's love for Yahweh, but passion, and, and, it's, and it's filled with hope. There's a, there's a hopeful sense. And if you notice, the psalm is actually three tenses, okay? So the first part, verses 1 through 3a, like the first part of 3, is the past tense. And this is what Yahweh has done for Israel. And they remember what he has done, and they're excited, and they thank God, and they worship God, and they're, they're filled with thankfulness. And then there's this half little line in verse 3, 3b. There's a present tense verb there. We're going to talk about that. And then 4 through 6 is the future. So you have this past and you have this tiny little present piece, and then you have the future. And that's the way the psalmist wrote the psalm. 
Now, why would the psalmist do that? Why would he take all this care and precision to, to talk about the past, to talk about the present, and to talk about the future? There's a really important reason. And, and by the way, this is, this is worth mentioning. The psalmist is so intentional. It's not like they're just scribbling stuff down. Hey, that, that's got a nice rhythm to it. Let's write that. There's so much intentionality that goes into these words, and he's so careful and precise with what he's trying to communicate. And here, thousands of years later, we have this depth we can get to. And we can read the psalm during a quiet time and go, oh, isn't that wonderful? It's beautiful. And then we can take another look, and we go, wait, there's something going on. And then we can take another look and another look and a look, and it just keeps going deeper and deeper. I love the intentionality. But let's take a look at the past in this psalm. When we read the first section, we immediately say, okay, what happened here? The psalmist is talking about something, and I think it's important for, this, for us to know what the psalmist is talking about to get the context in order to understand exactly why these people um, uh, had so much joy in them. What happened? Our mouths were, mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with joy. Something big happened in the past, and the psalmist wants us to remember. And if we read it in our today, we go, okay, well, I guess something good happened, and, and we can take that at face value, and we can move on. Great, the psalmist is happy. Whoever he's talking about was filled with laughter and, and joy. Great. But there's something more going on. Something big happened. I remember um, we both, um, uh, I remember our, my wedding day. Um, and, and, if, and if you're like me, I'm still, not too long ago I got married, and I can remember what it felt like. I can remember um, dating Jen and, and most of our relationship three and a half years before we got married was remote. And we had to write each other this archaic thing called email. We didn't have text message. We didn't have FaceTime. We didn't have any of that stuff. We would like write emails. I love you. Send. Ah! It was so cool. Cutting edge. And she would write back a couple hours later, and I'd be like, oh, what's she, what's she thinking about? She hasn't responded yet. We had this budding relationship, and as we got ser more serious, and as we realized that God had something more than just a dating relationship for us, we got engaged, and, and we began planning for this event, and, and finally the day of our wedding arrived. And I can remember being so happy and so smiley, if you can imagine, I know it's hard. My face hurt. At the end of the day, my face was like tired because I was smiling so much. That's what it's like, the psalmist is describing with laughter and joy, and, and there's so much happiness. So whatever happened was a big deal. And sure enough, it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. Babylon happened. And if you know anything about Israel's history, 598 B.C., Babylon conquered and took captive almost the entire nation of Israel. And this is like one of those things you're going, they did what? They did, it wasn't good enough just to conquer a neighboring nation. They had to take them out of the land, and they had to bring them home and parade them through the streets of their city, and they could say, look at this is what we did. Can you imagine the shame and the pain and the frustration and the, and the shock of, of the, the, the people that were taken captive? 539 B.C., Cyrus, the, uh, so, so 598 B.C., and we're going backwards, right? We're counting down numbers back then. 539, so later, about 60 years later, uh, Cyrus the Great took Babylon, and he conquered Babylon, and, it, and he did something miraculous, and, and, and it shocked the whole world. Cyrus the Great said, you guys can go home. 
yeah, go ahead. I, I don't want you in my city anymore. You can go home. 60 years later, all these captives were set free. And he even provided an armed escort to get them home. Isn't that nice of him? Sent them home. Miraculous. All of a sudden, the emotion comes out of these captives. And they finally were like men and women that could dream again. Have you ever been through something so painful, it's like your dreams are just shut off? Like you can't even think, you, don't, you can't even think about the future. You don't have hopes, you don't have, you don't have uh, desires, you don't have goals, you got nothing. You got nothing. And all of a sudden something happens and the dreams come alive. That's what the psalmist is talking about. We were like men who dreamed again. And our, we smiled so much our faces hurt. It's this beautiful picture of what God has done for Israel. And it's a special picture. And it's something they cherished. And God said, go home through Cyrus the Great. Go home, be free. And on the way home, they're thinking, you guys remember? Do you remember 60 years ago? Some of you don't remember because you weren't even born yet. But let me tell you, it was amazing. The land was beautiful. It was the promised land. And our, our grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers, this is where we're from. Come on, show. the temple. You have to see the temple. It's amazing. And then they get home. And they realize this isn't the same land we left. It's scarred. It's damaged. People, have, people groups have moved in since they were gone. And, and, and they're freed, and, and they're happy. And, and all the way home, their faces hurt because they were smiling and they were dreaming again. But something was different. Something was terribly wrong. And here we have the psalmist shifting into the present. Verse 3b. Three, verse 3 says, the Lord has done, has done, past tense, great thing for, things for us. And we're still filled with joy now, even though it's hard, because things aren't what they were. The nation is not what it was. Our beautiful temple where we would go to meet the Lord has been demolished. Our lands have been taken from us. Strange people groups are here willing to fight us for the land that was ours. Our beautiful wall, our city, everything is gone. But we're still thankful for what he did. That's the present the psalmist isn't just, the, the, this psalm isn't just about what God has done. It's a psalm of ascent. Remember, they're going into the new temple. It's about describing what he is like. It's not just about his actions, Yahweh's actions. It's about his, what he's like. And, and it's the psalmist's resolute commitment to be thankful, even though it's tough because of what he's done. And then very quickly, the next verse, into the future we go. What will happen? Something good happened. And we're still thankful for it, but something else is going to happen. And that's honestly how God moves. He does some amazing thing, and, and then he kind of waits for us. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? I've got more. I've got more if you want it. I've done this thing for you, but I've got more. It's like the person that has fallen on his knees and accepted Christ as, as their personal Savior, and it's this amazing, wonderful thing. And God says, oh, by the way, that's the beginning. How much more do you want? I can keep blessing you if you want it. If you want, there's more on top of more on top of more. And the psalmist knows this. And that's why the next verse is, restore our fortunes. And it's like, wait a second. Didn't God just bring them from Zion, back to Zion, the, the city, and they're filled with laughter and joy? Yes, but it's not what it was. 
See, God hasn't finished in the psalmist, in this part of the psalm, God's not finished with Israel. There's more coming. He did something, he, they're, they're deciding to be happy about it, and, and now, believe it or not, the work starts. God started the process, and he freed them from captivity and brought them back, but God has not fully restored them yet. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, into the future, please restore our fortunes. There's more. Here we are in this desolate land again, and we have to do something. It's not what it was. So please, restore our fortunes. God has not fully restored them. There's more that God will do for them if. And the psalmist gets to it next. The psalmist references work in the next section, if you caught it in verse 5. There's work there. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. And this is the part that if we just take the emotions of the psalmist, as beautiful as they are, we miss something. There's a little detail there. Sorrow, joy, we got the emotions. But wait, wait, did he say sowing and reaping? What's, what's going on there? What is the psalmist talking about? Their fortunes will be restored if they respond to God the way God has asked them to. God could have preserved their cities, but he didn't. God could have had it all put back together. Take the people away. They learn their lesson. Send them back. Oh, isn't it wonderful? You got what you had. But that's not the way God works. See, a lot of people think, well, that would be too nice of God. No, no. Actually, God has even a nicer thing in, in, in store for Israel. They have to work the land, and they have to rebuild the temple, the city, and the walls. And next in history, we have several books that describe this in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard of the name Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel, it's a hard name to forget, really. Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. And Ezra restored worship practices, and he restored the, uh, the weight and the authority of the Torah. This is their guide. The thing that guided them to God was the Torah. And these three men had to, had to rally the troops. We are free, yay. Oh my goodness, what happened to my house? It's destroyed. And these three men say, okay, Israel, here's the thing. If we want to be restored completely, then we have to do the work. We have things we have to do, and the work's hard. If you read through any of these books, you know there are dangers and there's evil forces that work against them. It took faith, it took courage, and it even took sacrifice. And that's a crazy thing to say to a group of people that have been exiled for 60 years. Hey, guys, it's going to take sacrifice. I'm sure a lot of them would go, don't lecture me about sacrifice. It was hard. We lost everything. We lost loved ones. We thought we were all going to perish. And God says, yes, but... There's so much more waiting if you want it. God had planted a seed of restoration, but it was only a seed. And now the psalmist is saying, now we have to work. It's future tense. Verse, verse 1, the psalmist says in the very beginning, this is the past. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like men who dreamed. And they were dreaming about the things that were. That's the way our dreams work. We dream about something special, and maybe we add more to it, and, and we put it in the future, but it's, but it's our experience. And so our dreams are usually limited to what we've experienced. And may, they might be a little better than what we experienced, but they're really only about our experiences. And God is saying, I got something more for you. 
I got something that you can't even imagine. Your dreams can't handle what I have for you. And that's why the psalmist sticks that in the past. God is saying, you're dreaming now. <laughs> Wait till what you see, what I can do. God was with them through this hard time we know in history. God restored their fortunes as they worked with God to do it. They were like men who dreamed, dreaming of the way things were. And then the psalmist says, restore our fortunes as we sow and as we reap. It wasn't complete yet, but they were on their way. There's some stunning parallels in this psalm and with what's going on at Grace Chapel. I can't wait to share them with you because it's so exciting. God has done great things for us. And we, not me because I've only been here a year, but we as the church, we, we, we've dreamed and we've had dreams. Men and women that have dreamed because of what God is doing. And it's been rich. There's a rich history in this place. A lot of hard work. A lot of sacrifice has gone into this place. And that wave that we talked about, God moving and Grace Chapel responding and God moving and Grace Chapel responding. But Grace Chapel is now poised at the crossroads. And we have some choices in front of us. We have some real, tangible choices. Grace Chapel is actually sitting halfway through the psalm. We're sitting in that present verse, that, those couple of, of words in, in the, second, or the first part of that verse. We're in the present. We're going, okay, what are we going to do? Wow, look at what God has done with our place and with our body. And that's just amazing, the story after story after story of what God has done. But God is saying, hey, there's more. And it's not just more of the same. It's more in a way that you can't even imagine it's going to be so good. If you respond. If you respond. And we need to respond. And I don't mean just respond like, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Right? That's worship, and that's great. That's music, and we, and we tend to say things like that. Oh, God's doing great. God's done great things, and we're so thankful. And I think that's the first step of response. But that's a passive response. That's a passive saying, God, wow, you've done great things. That's great. But I think God wants a little more from us. I think he wants an active response. We need to sow and reap now. Now we're ready. God has prepared us. God has situated us. And he's, all the things he's done in the past, and now we're ready to launch into the future. And so we've got a choice in front of us. We have a choice. We can take it for granted, and we can say things like, okay, God, I can't wait to see what God does next. I say that phrase all the time, and I mean it. I can't wait. God is moving, and he will move into the future. But I don't want that to be a passive response. I don't want that to be an excuse. I want it to be more. We have, a we have a choice. We can take it for granted, or we can say, look at what God has done. Let's get to work. God is asking us to do things now. And I'm going to warn you. I'm a straight shooter. I try to be a straight shooter as I can. It's not going to be easy. <laughs> it's going to be hard. Just like Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, and Esther, when, or, or Ezra, not Esther, Ezra, when we get to heaven, you can talk to those guys about how hard their job was <laughs> to rally an exhausted group of captives to rebuild an entire nation. How difficult would that be? We don't have it that bad. But there's work to be done. They knew God was with them. 
because of what he had already done. And they told story after story after story about what God had done to remind them that, no, God's with you. God's with you. Don't be afraid. But we have some hard work ahead of us. But we know God is with us. I've only been here a year, and I could give you dozens and dozens of stories of what God has done just in the last year. Things like we felt like God wanted us to, to rebuild or, or to grow our life group ministry into a huge aspect of our church. And we took three or four groups that were really solid, and we said, okay, church, let's do life groups. And we launched in the fall. We went from four to 22 life groups. That's not the number we have now because life groups change and people's schedules change and all that stuff. But huge push, and God did a mighty thing. And we're a church now that does life groups, and we do them well. And they're growing. We get new life groups almost every couple of months. That's an amazing work of God. And there's story like that after story after story. So those are reminders that as the work gets hard, God's with us. And it's exciting. So you might say, great, Josh. What does this mean for us? This is what I want you to take away this morning. I want this phrase to ring in your head. God has done great things. How are we going to respond? What's our response? And and if you ask why that's so important to know, it's because I don't want to be a people that takes God's goodness for granted. I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to go my whole life just saying, wow, God, the gifts you've given me, the resources you they're so wonderful. I love them. I don't want to be the fearful servant who buries what he's been entrusted. You know this story. It's in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. It's the parable of the talents. And the story goes that the, the, the manager, or the, the, the steward gives out all, the, all his resources as he leaves to these different managers and says, invest it as you will, make me a profit. And the last guy gets so scared, he just buries his. And everybody else invested it in different ways, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and some grew a lot, some grew a little. And, he, and, and the, the guy comes back, and he says, what'd you do with my money? And he goes, oh, I was so scared that I was going to lose it. It's because it's so precious that I just buried it. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that risked everything, as scary as that sounds to us. I want to take a big step of faith and say, okay, God, what do you want to do? This is what we're willing to do. I don't want to put in the hard work to see what God, I want to put in the hard work to see what God has for us. I want to see. I want to say, okay, God, I can't imagine what you have for us. So show us. What do you want us to do? If you're with me on that, if you're with me and you're saying, yeah, 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 let's let's be like the the shrewd uh, guy who invested the talents and, and let's see what we can do. If you don't want to take it for granted, I got a couple of suggestions. It's important to know that we have a choice, though. Here's my first suggestion. First, right out of the gate, we have to give generously. You probably knew I was going to say that. It's okay. We need to give our money. This thing takes money to do. And And it's the way God set it up on purpose. And there's a reason why. If you've been on the fence, maybe you're relatively new or, or maybe you're just coming back and you're like, I don't know if grace is my place. I don't know if I want to invest financially. That's just such a risky thing and not to mention it's really taboo to talk about it in our culture. That's me jumping into the taboo subjects. Let me just say this. 
It is not about the amount of money that you give. It's not. There's an amount we need. (laughs) There's always an amount we need. But that's faith. It's not about the amount for you. It's not. It's about the heart. And we see this in Scripture over and over and over. It's like every other story in the Gospels is about the heart. It's about the heart. It's about sacrificial generosity. It's about reflecting what we have been modeled. And you can't look at the legacy of Grace Chapel and go, God hasn't given us much. You can't do that. You would be inaccurate if you did. God has given us so much. It's about reflecting what daddy does back to daddy. Be like daddy because daddy has been generous. That's what it's about. It's not about an amount. And this is what C.S. Lewis said about giving financially. I always love quoting this guy. Genius. He says, I do not believe one can settle on how much we ought to give. I'm afraid there's only one safe rule. To give more than we can spare. That's hard. And I got to tell you guys, it takes a lot of guts for me to stand up here and ask for that. But here's why I ask for it. I ask for it because it's in Scripture. I ask for it because that's God's heart for us. And the nation of Israel shows back to their homeland completely exhausted, frustrated, and not knowing what to do. They had this amazing party all the way up to the fact that they see their town, their city, their nation in rubble. And they go, what are we going to do? And God says, I want you to give more than you have. And they go, what does that mean? That means everybody's a mason when we're ready to build the wall. Every one of you is a mason. And there's people in the, in the area that will kill you. And, and that knows you're building the wall. And they'll take advantage of the fact that you're working hard and they'll come and ambush you. So strap a sword on your side. That's what it took. And I see this in Scripture in the Old Testament. I see this in Scripture in the New Testament, this concept of it's about a heart. It's about generosity. And so I stand up here propelled and motivated by God to say, guys, that's what it takes. That's what it takes to see what God has for us in the future. And I don't ask lightly. Because I know it's hard. It's not about the money. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart of sacrificial generosity. And some may say, listen, I got a lot more time than I have of money. <laughs> and, and, and there's some people that are like that. They have a lot of time and they don't have a lot of money. I'll remind you it's not about the money, but we need time too. We need time. We need to give our talents as that parable that I mentioned in Matthew talks about. But we also need to give our time. Talents and time. We need to give our gifts. God has given us gifts. There are, there are um, people among you that think financially. There are people among you that think relationally. There are people among you that can organize and that can operate and that can direct and over, you know, all these skill sets that are represented in this body. We need for what God has for us in the future. So we need you to give financially. We need you to give your time. And we need you to give your skill. Give generously. The next one. I'm not done yet. (laughs) We need to go passionately. We need to go passionately. We need to 
go with the Lord outside of the church and prepare those out there for the gospel. And we do that with our passion. By the way, that's the best evangelical tool we have is our excitement, our joy, and our love. And we take that outside and people go, hey, hey why are you this way? I got to get some of that. You buy that at the grocery store, where do you get that? We say, no, let me tell you about why I'm so excited. We need to go with this passion. We need to get out there and we need to tell people what God is doing in here. And we need to be excited about it. And tell them that God is building a place at Grace where everyone is known, valued, and loved. And you've heard me say that over and over, and it's a mantra. Everyone deserves to be known, valued, and loved. And we know the leadership of this church, we know God is, is with us in building an environment that everyone is known, valued, and loved. We need to go passionately. We need to tell people about that. And then the last thing, we need to glorify fervently. Glorify fervently. We need to glorify the Father because he's done mighty things. And we have a rich history of him moving and moving and moving. We need to glorify him for that. And we have a Father who is currently, present tense, moving and doing things. Tomorrow there's new stories that haven't been written yet of God moving in our church. And we can worship him for those. And we can worship him for the things that he's doing off in the future. Years to come. The things that he's setting up. Events that are happening in the future. We can glorify him for those. That's what we need to do. That's what I want to do. And it's important to remind you, we need to ask the question, why? Why do we need to do this? It's so important for me to say that you have a choice. There's a couple other things that I need to say. God loves us no matter the choices we make. Did you know that? God's love is not a reward for your choices. You can't earn God's love and you can't lose God's love. That's who our Father is. He loves us unconditionally. So I'm not standing up here saying, hey, do all this stuff, otherwise God's not going to love you as much. And by the way, all the naysayers, when we're over here doing it, God loves us more. <laughs> How about that? Not true. That's not the nature of the Father. He loves us no matter the choice we make. God, however, wants to bless the world through us. Just like he wanted to do that with the new rebuilt Israel. He wants to bless the world through us. He built us for something, and I, I'm here to tell you, if you don't respond to the way that God wants you to respond, and it, it, you're going against your nature. And I've been there, and I know people that are there, and they're frustrated, and they're confused. God built us for something. And he's saying, here are the things that I want you to do. And, and if you do them, you're going to be in your nature. You're going to be doing the things, that, the, the way that I created you. It's going to work well. So the choice is, we can take him for what he's done, and we can take for granted. We can be so thankful. And we could be a good, good church, a good country church who just sits and maintains and everything's fine. Or we can get to work. We can reflect his glory by doing the things that he's asked us to do, that he's set up for us to do. So God has done great things for us. How will we respond? Let's give generously. Let's go passionately. 
and let's glorify fervently. Let's pray. Jesus, it is uncalculable how much you have given us. Your blessings are too many to number. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the rich history that is Grace Chapel. The 25 years of you moving and these people responding. So Lord, I ask as you move yet again that we would respond. That we would respond by getting to work, by doing the things that you'd have us do. God, that's hard for me to ask of these people because I love them and I don't want them to sacrifice. But you love them even more than I do and you want them to sacrifice because it's good for them. So Lord, I ask that as we take step after step after step in this journey, in this path, that you would help us see the things that you're doing, the things that you've done, and the things that you're going to do. I ask that you would be close to us I ask for um, peace and assurance for everyone that gives in secret. Whether it's money or their time or their energy or their prayers, whatever they're giving, Lord, I ask that you would move in them and you would bless them, that you give them the peace that passes understanding, the, the satisfaction that they're on your kingdom path. And Lord, I ask that as a church that we would respond to you and that we would rebuild the walls and the temple and the city, and that everyone around us would say, wow, the Lord has done great things for them. That's my request, Lord. I love you. And I know this church loves you. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. In your name, amen.